you continue to praise him tonight? Come on, praise him, give him glory for what he's done, for everything he's done, for all that he's gonna do. Can we thank him? Can we praise him in advance? We give you glory, Lord. Isn't it so good to be in church? Oh my goodness, I love church. I love church. Um, I, I didn't grow up going to Equipus Church. I grew up going to a Fijian Methodist church. It was quite different to this. And I remember my first time walking into Equipus Church, and it was scary. It was really scary because I was used to quiet and hymns. So when I walked in, I was kind of looking around, like wanting to tell people to shush. Shh, shh. It's not how you act in church. And then the music started and people started dancing and clapping. And I thought, that's strange. Some of them can't even dance. <laughs> but they die and they're really happy about it. So I'm this 14 year old walking in and there are these happy, uncoordinated people that are loud and enjoying themselves in church. And then the music slows down. And then there's worship. And all of a sudden, people started lifting their hands. And I thought, do you, do you have a question? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I didn't understand any of it. And to be quite honest, at 14 years old, I kind of looked around and thought, you all look real weird. And then I, I remember just sitting in the service, and I, I remember being overwhelmed and undone inexplicably and I remember looking around at these people who were crazily uncoordinatingly kind of happy and who were able to lift their hands or just be free and I remember thinking I think I really want that I think I'd really like whatever they're having and the thing about the church that you see the church that God sees is that it is very little, very little to do with the building and everything to do with you, with the person sitting next to you. You have no idea the kind of encouragement that you bring to the broken and the lost when you smile, when you lift your hands, when you praise Him even though you've got no reason to praise Him, when you give Him glory, when you honour Him, when you lift your hands and it's the hardest time and you're in a trial, but you lift your hands anyway. And I wanna say tonight, I, I just wanna say tonight, man, I can just sense that there is breakthrough in the room. There is breakthrough here. There is a moment now where the God of breakthrough is present to work in your life. And see, here's the thing that's really special about coming together in one building. See, sometimes when I'm at home and I'm alone, my faith can be weak. But the wonderful thing about coming together in one building once a week with everything else is my faith and your faith and your faith and your faith and your faith. It comes together and it joins together and together we believe and there's breakthrough. And I just know that victory, victory, 
Jesus today. I believe that victory belongs to Him. Victory belongs to the King of Kings. And whatever situation you're going through, I wanna say victory belongs to Jesus. And so Lord, we thank You tonight that victory truly does belong to You. And so God, we can praise in that. We can rest in that. We can laugh in the midst of a trial because we know that victory belongs to you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Can you shout amen? Awesome, you may take a seat. You can high five people next to you. Can we give it up for the team? We've done a phenomenal job. This is my first time being in service while Tyson is drumming. How awesome is he? We love you, Tyson. We love you. And Marcus is back from daddy leave. And he's killing it on the bass. I love our creative team who serve so wholeheartedly. I love the series also that we're in, the, the church you see. We're going to put up the scripture in Ephesians that um, Pastor Sam opened with last week. Um, and it's a phenomenal scripture. Um, well, you look, they all are, aren't they, really? They all are phenomenal scriptures. Um, but in Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 20 to 23, in the message version, it'll come up on the screen shortly. It says this, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Come on, how good is that? He has the final word. Come on, God is the final word on everything. On everything, God has the final word. On your finances, God has the final word. On, on illness, God has the final word. On relationships that might be broken, come on, God has the final word. Okay, God has the final word. And, but at the center of all of this, while God is running galaxies and governments, at the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. Mind equals blown, <laughs> right? Because how easy is it get into the churches on Sundays, um, like for one and a half hours, and if you're real hardcore, you go to two services, right? Sometimes we can get stuck into that, like that is church, but Ephesians 1 kind of puts it different. That God, while running the galaxies and governments and while, while he's in charge of everything, at the center of all of it is him ruling the church. The church is at the very center. It's not, it's not an end of the week, one and a half hour type of thing. That it's at the center of it all. He rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. I think one of the, one of the things that I have learned in, as someone who's you know, been going to church for a long time, the Fijian Methodist Church, and for the last 18 years, Equipus Church has been my home. 
And one of the things that I can get uh, tripped up in thinking is really that, that church is Sunday and church are services. And when I think of church, I think of services on Sunday or global prayer night or a rehearsal night for the creative team that I've been serving with. Or uh, uh, church is when is, 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 are, are those particular corporate events. But in actuality, church is you and I. It's people. It's people. At the center of all of all that God is doing is not a program. It is people. It's us. And that's really important because I think, I, I guess the question I'd like to ask tonight is, what is the church you see? Like, how, how do you see church? I think it's really easy to see church like a drive through You know, just like, I'm feeling quite peckish. I haven't quite had time to sort out my life, so I'm just going to quickly drive on through. And I don't, I don't quite feel like um, turning the car off and making the effort to kind of walk in and sit down and have a good, good time. I just, just kind of want to drive through, get my order, get my fill, and I don't really want to talk to anyone. <laughs> and I just, yeah, sometimes church, that, sometimes that's actually the church we see. Um, sometimes church can be the um, rubbish collection day church. You know, like when stuff, um, when the rubbish starts collecting in your life, when the issues just start to like build up and um, your life starts to sink and then, oh, I should probably go to church. <laughs> right? Sometimes, sometimes not, not for you guys, just sometimes that's me in the last 18 years. Sometimes um, church can be like, um, just like I'm just paying my dues to, to inland revenue. Really? Like, honestly, eh? Just like, look, I come to church and uh, I go to a service and I go to e-group and I tick the boxes, just leave me alone. I do what I'm supposed to do. I tithe. I go to small group. I serve. And now I ticked all the boxes and now just leave me alone. Don't tell me to do anything else. What I, 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 I just pay attention to the bare minimum and I get by. What is the church you see? That's just experience from my life. But I think it's really important when I read Ephesians chapter one, that's not the church that God sees. That really isn't. And what we can get tricked into thinking is um, Approaching church as if, you know, rubbish day or tax man or drive through that's very consumeristic kind of thinking. And it's easy to slip into that because that is the world, that, that's the culture that we live in. But what we, are, what we need to be aware of is that that's not necessarily kingdom culture. Otherwise, we come into church as if this is like um, our customer first, you know, uh, please the customer, please the client. And if you don't please the client, then I'm going to just get mad and complain to everyone about it and go find another uh, restaurant to eat at, go find another church to be at. But that's not church. That is church if church was about a building and a program. But if church is about people, that's not church. If church is about you and I, if church is about the person sitting next to you, if church really is about love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength, if church really is love your neighbor as you love yourself, then that's a different kind of church. That's a different kind of church. 
And that's what Jesus said to one of the one of the Pharisees, one of the teachers of religious law, right? He was like a religious lawyer type dude. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, Hey Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Because the word of God says that he was trying to trap Jesus. And so Jesus replies, and I, I just thought about that, like what was he trying to trap Jesus about? And really, really, as I was reading just a few commentaries, I was reading that this religious, this person of religious law was trying to trick Jesus and was trying to get him to say what everyone else was saying was the most important commandment, uh, the law of Sabbath or the law of sacrifices or this law or that law. Um, and actually, so like do this, do that, do this, do that. But Jesus replies with this phenomenal reply and he says, it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just as important. It is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I love, I love that. I think this is genius. Why? Because there are neighbors everywhere. That's really easy to do. Have you read Old Testament law about the sacrifices? That's really complex. That's a whole lot of rules that I could never remember and I would always fail at. But I think sometimes in the church, in, in, the, in the church of today's culture, we're just looking not really for faith, but we're looking for rules for compliance, right? We're looking just to comply. Look, can I just do these things so I can comply? But that's not faith, that's compliance. And the issue with compliance is that it paralyzes faith. That's the issue. We just start walking and talking someone else's script. We start walking and talking what someone else says about God, and we stop engaging our own faith. One of the most exciting things for me about joining Equipers Church was not that I had moved from a conservative church to a modern church. One of the most exciting things for me was that I had moved from someone who was borrowing my parents' faith to someone who had faith of my own. That was the most exciting thing. It is to, and I learned to love God with all of my heart and learning and st learned and still learning to love my neighbor as I love myself. How I, I, I love, I love this contrast of the law. What's the, what's the law that we must follow to be the church that you see? And God just says, just love, like Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. I love that. I love that because neighbors are everywhere. They are the people who are packing your groceries and who play on the high school rugby team. They deliver your mail and they rake leaves next door. They sit in city council meetings. They live in suburbia. They live in prison. They live on the streets with cardboard signs. Neighbors are quite literally everywhere. And what I love is Jesus gives us this purpose to life, which is simply love your neighbor. Love your, just love the person next to you. If we can do that, if we can do that, we become the church he sees. If we can do that, can we do that? 
Can we just love the people who are closest to us, who are beside us, in front of us, behind us, the people that we see on public transport or in our workplaces? Can we love the message, the word I have uh, tonight is really quite simple, and that is simply to be the church that God sees. We must love Him, and we must love people. That, and, and that really is as, as simple as it gets. There's a, um, a, one of the college lecturers at um, a Bible college over in the States. Um, he, he put it like this, the early church. As he was talking to his students, he said, there was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In this band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and shared their lives in authentic Christian fellowship. Those who had more shared freely with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers melted away. People related together in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church, offered unbelievers such a vision of life that was so beautiful that it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. And verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that a great picture of the church? I think it's a wonderful picture. And tonight, what, I, what I'd love us to do is I, I, I just want to land in a particular part of the word, and that's in Exodus 14, if you could go there. And what I want to talk about tonight really is just three things, just three things tonight that will hopefully help you move, move and act, not, not I don't want to give you things to do, but hopefully to inspire you to love in the people in your world and to love God even more so. And in Exodus 14, we see the Israelites, yes? And the Israelites have just been freed from slavery in Egypt. And God was moving them from their slavery to their promised land. And I think this is an incredible journey because not only was God moving them physically from one place to another, God was also moving them in terms of their minds, their perspectives, their hearts, moving them from who they used to be to who he saw them as, right? So this is the journey that we're looking at. This is the journey that we're all on together. We all see ourselves a particular way. We've all come from a particular kind of Egypt. We've all come from a particular kind of pain or brokenness or shame or rejection. But the church God sees is as we come together, as we walk together, as we go together, as we love together, that we are transformed together into his sons and daughters of the king. Okay, cool. So Exodus and 14, go there. I love this. There are some hilarious times. Um, I, I find this chapter quite comical. And so let's, you know, let's, let's laugh together. So here we go. The Israelites have just been freed and they're walking, they're walking. And in, in, in chapter 13, um, it says this. Uh, 
When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land, okay? God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Now, this is really important to understand that God led them toward the Red Sea. Yeah? So really important to keep note of the context, that it's not like, oops, um, God was leading them to the promised land, and then they got to an ocean, and like the GPS went wrong. Like God was like, oh, sorry, guys, we just have to make a bit of a turnaround. But God actually led them to a place where they were going to be stuck. Right? <laughs> so, so God led them there. And so as they're, as they're going there, Pharaoh's back in Egypt, and Pharaoh's going, why on earth did we let those people go? What a stupid thing. This is Esther's paraphrase, read your Bible. And so you guys are like, I can't find it in the New King James Version. You won't, okay? So Pharaoh's sitting there going, why did we let the Israelites go? Pharaoh gathers his best soldiers, his best army, and then he, he says, come on, we're going to go after the Israelites. So he starts going after the Israelites. In verse 10, it says of chapter 14, it says this, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians taking over them. Because that's what we do when we're in trouble. Straight panic. Isn't it? That's what we do when we're leaving. We're like, yeah, we got breakthrough. And then, hey, how come that insecurity is still following me? Hey, how come that fear is going to overtake me? Hey, I don't like that person. I don't want to talk to them. They offended me. Why? That's why we just start panicking. And so these Israelites, they just start panicking. And here's what they do. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen? While we were still in Egypt, we said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves. To the, let us be slaves to the Egyptians. Catch this. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. This is a crazy moment. They've just had breakthrough and freedom, and they're walking towards the promise. But all of a sudden, just like you, the, 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 the past, the Egyptians are catching up with them. And all of a sudden, they only have two options, slavery or corpse. Those are the only two options. Those are not great options. What are you doing, Moses? All we have are two options, death or slavery. Can I say this? They actually didn't have two options. They had more options. They had more options. They didn't know it yet, but they had more options. But this whole group of people, all they could see was the only options I got is slavery or death. But I pray that we be a part of the church that God sees, that when we get stuck in a hard place, that when we see someone that we're like, oh no, I just, I don't know what God can do with that. We don't see slavery or a corpse for someone, but rather we see when there's the Red Sea in front of us and the Egyptians behind us that we're like, okay, God, um, there's slavery, there's corpse, there's teach us to fly, there's split the Red Sea, there's walk on water. Those are your options. 
right? I pray we be those kind of people. Red Sea in front of us and the Egyptians behind us. We're like, yes, God, it's time to walk on water. Yes, God, it's time to teach me how to fly. Yes, God, it's time to, something else is gonna happen because those are not my options. Slavery and corpse is not my option. Going back to who we were before, that's not an option. God's moving us forward. God's moving us forward. Going back into my small silos and not loving others, that's not an option. God's opening up our worlds to see, to see, to see. I pray tonight that God would heal your imagination. That's what I pray. I pray that tonight breakthrough will come because you might be standing in a hard place, a fence in front of you, an anxiety behind you, but your imagination would run wild. And you're a well, man, God, what could you do? Oh, God, what could you do in this relationship? Oh, God, what could you do when I have no finance? Oh, God, what could you do with this illness? God, what could you do? Oh, the privilege of being stuck. Oh, the insane privilege of being stuck of understanding, well, God, you led me here. I didn't ask to be here, but you brought me here. There was a shorter, quicker way, but you brought me here. So God, I'm ready, you teach me how to fly. Ethan, 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 get up here, bud. You're gonna preach with me. Yeah, run. I think that was his subtle run. And I think there's a moment now that for for people here, as you've been encouraged by the message, that you've been inspired. Uh, Last week and even this morning as Pastor Bruce spoke, oh my goodness, and that your heart has lifted, but there's been a limit. There's been a limit. When when Pastor Sam would, would say, come on, we're in a time of breakthrough. Come on, ask specifically that you're lost for words that you, you don't know how to imagine. But I pray in this moment that God would heal your imagination. All is not lost. All is not lost. God has been setting you up. And I know that the situation looks dire, but if you would close your eyes, so that you would cease to see in the physical, but you would begin to imagine. You'd begin to let your imagination flow. You would begin to allow yourself to dream. What could be? God, what could you do? Oh Lord, I don't know if I can take more of this pain, but I know God, as you take me through the process, there's a miracle. There's a miracle of healing. There's miracles of restoration. You know, if that's you in this moment and you know your imagination has been dulled, you know your imagination, you can't even dream. You can't even think of what the promised land could be. You can't even think of what the restored relationship could be. Then in this moment, I just really wanna pray that the Holy Spirit 
would do a work in you to heal your imagination. That the the difficulty of your current circumstance has caused your imagination to be limited. Oh, but God, I pray that you'd lift the lid now in Jesus' name, that you would lift the lid, that people would dream without limitation. People would imagine, oh God, that while people might be in a situation where they may be stuck, Lord, that there would be an excitement brewing, an excitement would begin to brew. Oh God, what could you do now? What could you do here? What could you do through me? What could you do through the Word? What could you do through worship? What could you do as I give? What could you do as I forgive? What could you do as I try again? What could you do as I believe again? What could you do as I go again? What could you do as I give, as I give, as I give? God, lift the lid now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. One of the challenges that I've had recently is um, not, not like a challenge, but I've been challenged because I really like watching Netflix. Human. I heard, I literally heard the judgment, guys. <laughs> and um, not, I like watching TV shows. Uh, because they're really, they're like 20 minutes long, really short. You just, you know, watch one and then move on. Um, and I've been really challenged this year not to watch uh, Netflix and not to watch as many movies or TV, not because it's evil, but really because what that does is it causes the imagination muscle to atrophy. Because when you watch a movie, you don't have to imagine anything all the context, the characters, the sound, the plot, the unfolding of a story, it's all done for you. When you watch a TV show, it's all done for you, where people come from, their past, their present, their future, all of it, it's all done for you. And some of us have given up hope too early in our friendships, in our relationships, in our reaching out to our neighbor because of our, because of our inability to simply imagine to simply imagine what could happen because because all the imagining's been done for us. And so I challenge you that in this moment is one thing to respond and say amen to a prayer. But I, I reckon when you go home, if you're someone who watches TV, turn it off. Turn it off and pick up your Bible or read a book or go for a walk or do something that will get your imagination running. Don't, you know, don't just watch YouTube, right? Because then what happens in our everyday life is not imagination, it's imitation. And we just start imitating what's going on. But the church that God sees are people who see without limitation. People who dream, people who think anything is possible. Anything can happen. Okay, so a bit of a practical challenge, but I pray you go with it. Ethan, you're so good. God bless you. Okay. Secondly, okay, verse 13, we're moving on. Verse 13, as they're there with the Red Sea in front of them, no, no, no way to go forward, no seeming way to go back. Um, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. 
The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord Himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And I think that's a great scripture. But what I think is hilarious is the next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. How funny is that? Moses is like, calm down people, just stay still. Don't move a muscle, God will do it all for you. And God's like, what are you talking about? Stop crying out to me, move, move forward. How funny is that, right? We're like, okay guys, just chill out. Chill out, God will do it all. And I understand the truth of that. I understand the value of what it is to be still and know that He is God. But sometimes we take that too far and we just be still and be a consumer and just expect the handout and just expect God to just do things while we do nothing, while we don't engage our faith, but we gauge a checking the box kind of compliance. But God says to Moses, what are you, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the Red Sea. The next couple of scriptures, the verses, it describes what happens. God says, I'm gonna, He says, raise your hand. The water's gonna divide. You will walk through. And at that that same time that the cloud or the pillar of fire moves from in front of them and moves to the back, now, I have been doing a little bit of research and there's, there's a Jewish oral tradition that I read from a particular rabbi that says that most Jewish oral traditions believe that when Moses raised his hand over the Red Sea, that God started moving straight away, straight away, right? So he raises his hand, then the cloud begins to move to the back so that the Egyptians can't go forward, but also so that the Israelites can't go back. So he starts, so, and then straight away, straight away, and in between those verses, as all this movement is happening, the wind begins to blow and the sea begins to part. But, the, but rabbinical commentary and this oral tradition of the Jews say that what the Israelites did was obey God tentatively, but obey Him anyway. And actually what they did is they started to walk even though the sea had not split in front of them yet that they had actually started to walk. And those, there were so many of them that their feet didn't ever touch the water, but there was a group of them where their feet touched the water. And this rabbi was saying that for some of them, the water would have been up to their necks before it split in front of them. And I read that and I was like, you know what, that makes sense. It makes sense because miracles don't come to cowardly, timid, fearful people. It makes sense. It makes sense that God started moving straight away, but the Israelites standing there on the shore, they can't necessarily see it with their eyes. They only heard God say, get moving. They only heard God say, go. And so they started to move, unsure. God, are you actually gonna do this? Well, maybe you're gonna give me gills so I can swim like a fish. We don't, I don't know. But God, you gotta do something. And there were the privileged people at the front who had the privilege of almost drowning. 
I think that's quite comical. But there were these, there were a group of people who went forward anyway. And you know, I think the church that God sees is a church that moves on His Word. On His Word. On His Word. That moves not because it's a good idea, but moves because on Your Word. On Your Word. On Your Word, God, I move. On your word, God, I move. On your word, God, I go. Oh, I can't see what's going on. You used to lead by being in front of me, but now, God, you've moved behind me, and now you're pushing me forward, and now I don't know what's going on. This is so different. It's new territory, but now, God, I move. God, I move. God, I move. God, I go. Listen, in terms of loving other people, you gotta go. You gotta move. You gotta move. You've gotta, you've gotta get up and do something. Uh, I think prayer is an indispensable part of our lives following Jesus, but prayer without movement. Prayer without moving, what is it? We must go, why? Because we are transformed by what we do more than what, by what we see other people do. Yeah? We are transformed. Our lives, the transformative power of God occurs and changes and reshapes our lives as we go. As we go. So I want to encourage you. Come on, my friends, go. Go. Love. Be kind. Include. Accept. Invite. Smile. Encourage. Love, go, go. This, we don't have to wait. God has done it all. He's broken every barrier. He's brought it all. He's brought it all at the feet of His cross. Go, go, go. Can I encourage you? Move. Move in Jesus' name. And lastly, at the end of the scripture, at the end of the chapter, in verse, uh, chapter 14 and verse. 31, when the people of Israel, we know the story, God split the sea, they walked through. The Egyptians came after them and the sea closed in on the Egyptians, destroying them. Um, When they saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before Him. They put their faith in the Lord and in His servant Moses. And then this beautiful chapter in chapter 15, which won't come up on the screen, but I do, I think you should write it down and go read it. But as they got to the other side, they began to sing the song of deliverance. And on their lips were words like, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory, I will praise Him. The Lord is a warrior, Yahweh is His name. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you with your unfailing love. You lead the people you have redeemed in your might. You guide them to your sacred home. And it's, it's these verses of praise. And I, if we were just to understand that one of the main reasons, or the main reason God wanted to free his people was simply for worship. It was for worship. 
He wanted people to be free. He wanted His people to be free from slavery so they might be free to worship, so they might be free to lift their hands, so they might be free to say, Yahweh, my mighty Saviour, who has redeemed, who has called me, chosen me, the one who fights on my behalf. An undeniable characteristic of the church that God sees is worship. And look, I cry now half because I'm pregnant and I cry all the time, but half because I love the presence of God. I love the presence of God that has walked with me through every valley and that has celebrated with me on every mountaintop. I love the presence of God that comforts and holds and heals, but also challenges and pushes me forward and out of my comfort zone. And sometimes, sometimes I have no words, so I just sing really loud notes. Sometimes the words flow freely. But I think one of the most blessed things about coming together like this is the opportunity that we get to worship together. That we get to lift Him up. That we get to declare His goodness. That we get to thank Him all for the cross, for rising to life, for giving us life. And if you have been dry in your worship, if you've been in a place in your walk with God where worship is non-existent or when you try to, you, there's no flow. Firstly, can I say, we don't worship because we feel good. Worship is not like a feelings-based thing. But when we worship God, it's part of our love expression, our love declaration to Him, whether we feel it or not. But in this place, and in this season of 52 days of breakthrough, I, I know for me that my time with Jesus, my worship with Jesus, has just, it's been such a delight. Why don't you stand to your feet because we're going to worship together. And the team are gonna lead, but man, if that's you and perhaps worship has been a little bit dry, your communion with God, your time with God has been a little bit dry. I don't wanna pray that you would feel better about it. But I do wanna pray 
that there would be a sense of urgency within you, a hunger in you. I've got to be in the presence of God, that you would fan into flame now in this moment. You would fan into flame. Oh, the the desire to just want to go, to turn off the distractions and to just go and get into the presence of God. And I need you, God. So if that's you in this moment, as we lift up worship, would you respond and would you say, yeah, God, I'm running. I'm running to you, Jesus. Come on, sing out.